In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Shibabi Theus ex adipe frument. Et de petre melisatura viteus. These words, which we find in the introit of today's Mass, are in fact taken from the Mass of Monday in the Octave of Pentecost. They speak of the Lord feeding his chosen people in the desert. It is the nourishment that they received from God after their deliverance. And so we make these words our song this evening as we celebrate the boundless glories of this greatest of the sacraments confided to us by our Lord Jesus Christ, in which we receive not only the grace of Christ, as in all the sacraments, but our Lord Jesus Christ himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity, really, truly, and substantially present under the forms of bread and wine. For many centuries, the Church has celebrated this feast out of a desire to render thanks to God for this sacrament in a way which the mind of the Church she was not able to do on Holy Thursday. On Holy Thursday, our thoughts are indeed fixed on the institution of this sacrament. But as the commencement of the Passion of our Lord, so too throughout Holy Week, we hear of the institution of this sacrament as we sing the Passion of the Lord. For Holy Thursday is followed immediately by the awful drama of Good Friday. The Church then saw fit in that great age of faith to institute a feast after Pentecost when the work of our redemption accomplished she might celebrate outside of the time of penance the boundless joys which come to us through this holy sacrament. One thing especially marks this feast today, something we do not hear on Holy Thursday, which is the beautiful sequence of the Mass, composed like the rest of the Mass by our holy patron, St. Thomas Aquinas. It has been observed that if you have not had the leisure to read all of the articles in the Summa Theologiae, on the Blessed Eucharist, you may find the most admirable summary of the teachings of the angelic doctor in the verses of this sequence. And tonight I invite us to dwell for a moment, as I truly believe the Church invites us to do in her liturgy, on this sacrament as received by us, which is why we call it a sacrament. 
Inasmuch as it is offered up to God as it is at every Mass, it is a sacrifice. But it is at the same time sacrament because although it is offered to God, it is also received by men. And it is important for us to reflect on this great truth of our faith because in both cases, the graces that come inexorably from this sacrament are fruitful to us only as much as we dispose ourselves to receive them. Tonight, we will all take place in a Eucharistic, we will all take part in a Eucharistic procession immediately following the Mass. And so we might say that we do not take some moments to make our thanksgiving as we normally do. Keep that very much in mind tonight as you take part in a procession which no doubt is longer than the usual time you allot to making thanksgiving after Mass. And as you have made the great sacrifice to come here tonight and take part in this most august ceremony, keep that in mind as you reflect on the smaller sacrifice you might make any time you come to Mass to make a good thanksgiving for the graces you have just received. For if you avail yourself of these effects of the sacrament in your soul, you may know with divine faith that you draw from each fervent communion that you make three great fruits. For you, your fervent reception of the Blessed Eucharist is union with Christ. It is food for your soul, and it is your pledge of the resurrection. That it achieves union with Christ, we know full well from our Lord's words, taken from the Gospel of St. John, in which we hear today, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the fruit of that very first grace which we received from Christ when, when we were as yet in darkness. He told us he was at the door a knocking, promising us, if any man let me in, I will come and sit down and eat with him and he with me. This union with Christ is achieved by our partaking of what seems to men to be a natural food, but what we know to be food for the soul. Just as the food we partake of throughout the day preserves and increases natural life within us, so the Eucharist is food for the soul and this word is very apt when we consider the effects of the Eucharist. For the Church does not teach that the reception of this sacrament 
by those in the state of grave sin achieves any preservation of life. No food for one who is too sick to receive it achieves no growth of natural life. And so it is true of the supernatural life. It is food for those who are in the grace of Christ, who already have sanctifying grace, who already have the Holy Trinity dwelling within them. In this case, the heavenly food we receive at Mass tonight preserves and increases that grace within us. And it is the source of untold actual graces, graces which enable us to perform good deeds and to excel in the virtues. This is true not only when we receive our Lord sacramentally, but even when we are not unable and can make a short visit to the Blessed Sacrament. At that time, we must implore of our Lord the graces to excel in the Christian life, to forsake our vices, and to practice in a heroic manner all of his virtues. Finally, the Eucharist is for us a pledge of our eternal life, which we will have with our immortal souls and with glorified bodies if we persevere until death in the grace of Christ. For many centuries, this has been a part of the liturgy of the Church. At certain requiem masses, think in particular of All Souls Day, we have this very Gospel of St. John speaking of the Eucharist as the bread of life, as the Gospel for the day. This was always an argument put forward by our earliest fathers in the faith against those who opposed the idea of a bodily resurrection. They argued that as Christ has given himself to us, his own flesh and blood is our food, surely we must believe that this is nothing else than a pledge, a guarantee that we shall rise again. Why would he ever feed our bodies under visible, sensible forms were it not for the fact that the spiritual good that comes to us through this sacrament is to assure us, if we persevere in his grace, of not only eternal life for our souls, but also for our bodies. It is indeed the pledge of eternal life. In a very beautiful word which is often used in the New Testament, which often escapes us in translation, a beautiful Hebrew or Aramaic word, Arabon, a pledge that is a pledge of a spouse to his bride, which already confers, long before the final reward of eternal life, inestimable gifts, boundless graces. And so, as we take part tonight in this procession in honor of the sacrament of our salvation, let it be for us also a firm resolution to be far more thankful in our frequent reception of this sacrament. 
Let the moment of our Holy Communion be a time when we thank the good Lord for his boundless love toward us and implore of him all the graces necessary to imitate him in all our actions, to become entirely configured unto him until that day when we behold him at long last, no longer under these veils, but face to face. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Amen.